Listeners, welcome. We are back for another episode of Forrest Gump Minute, your weekly podcast where we talk about the movie Forrest Gump, four minutes at a time. I'm your host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my best good friends, Joe and Duff. What up? My density has brought me here. Uh, your destiny or your density? Density. It's okay. The, it's the Back to the Future joke. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, minute 61 through 64. This starts with Lieutenant Dan's talk of destiny and ends with Forrest joining an anti-war protest. Um, Lieutenant Dan needs a better family. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan needs therapy. <laughs> Um, it's a therapy of the sea. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Listen, I will say, I will say, like, I know, uh, I used, I'm not a beach guy, but, uh, why don't you like the beach? I, you know, it's Is sort it of like, like the Larry David, like, it's exactly like that. The Larry David thing where he's like, what are we going to do? He's like, oh, you just sit there. Like, I'm just going to sit there. Do what? We're like, oh, you know, let's, anyways. I was fortunate enough to spend a week in Mex- in Cancun a couple years ago, and I will say, every morning we would go down and we'd sit at the beach, and you get the sea, you get the you get the waves, get that salt water, the salt your- water, you get the, the 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 nice beach on your feet. The it sun. was very relaxing. The sun's there too, if you <laughs> want it to be. You don't like the sun. Uh. I, I like the sun in uh, small doses. <laughs> uh, as a as a Midwestern pale boy, that's the correct attitude. Yeah. But I will say that was the first time that I was like, okay, I get this. You, you get it. And I think a lot of it was like my experiences were like, oh, you can go to the local beach. And I was like, this is a lot of people, and I don't like any of this. <laughs> so Cancun was a little better than the Spooner Beach? Uh, no, Spooner doesn't have a beach, but the local town Shell Lake does. Mm. And that would be the beach you would go to. You get bitten by any fish? No. I one time was, uh, I was camping with some friends and we uh, went into a quarry. Quarry? <laughs> and I uh, think I've said this before, but nothing good happens in a quarry. Yes. The, you probably, probably told the story. I never know. Just bad news. And I, yeah, I'm sure I've told this before to you guys. But I was, I was like in the quarry and I was swimming around with my friends. I'm not a good swimmer. I'm like. Dog paddle? Yeah, I'm enough to stay alive, but I'm not confident. <laughs> um, I've never died swimming. That's a fun fact about Dead me. man's float. Um, but there was, like, a metal pipe underneath the, like, water level that was coming out <laughs> of the, on. like, wall. Is, is this just going to be every week? Do you talk about <laughs> this, a different way you were maimed? This is, a, this is a Stephen King story right here. <laughs> and I was, like, swimming around, and this metal pipe, like... Like it hit my shorts, like my my swimming trunks, and my leg, and I, I listen. If you're like, did you get we pants? all we all have emerge we all have moments that we're not proud of. Oh if you were God. to put my super some cut, more than others, yeah. If you were to put like my and listen, it would be like a feature length film of like <laughs> me at my worst. There would absolutely be the sequence of me freaking out because I thought it was a snake. <laughs> I thought a snake had grabbed my shorts. Its and scales are like iron. And I screamed. <laughs> I was with mixed company. It was me, two male friends, and how, two female how, friends. How old were you? I was in high school. This oh, is not a good time to like. That's that's the worst time to show fear. 
Yep. <laughs> and I, all, all fear and panic, and it was terrifying. <laughs> um, so that is the only. I I do have a friend who once grabbed a fish out of the water, out of a river, and it may be the most incredible thing I've ever seen a person do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty so, badass. It was, and it was like he spent a long time doing it. He just like looked. <clears throat> And then grabbed a fish and held it up, and I was like, "I don't, I give up." Look, quarries, bad news. Yeah. Like it, the fact that there, this story didn't end with a dead body. I'm, well, I'm glad. Defunct quarries, like once they've been tapped out. Well, what, what quarries in general? No, just like, like all the bad things ever happen while like a quarry is operating, like when there's like mining equipment in there and they're doing work. No, like, I'm just I'm just saying like any story of me and my friends went to the quarry that yeah. has a has a bad ending. Yeah, there's I never agree. never a good ending. Children should not be in quarries. <laughs> <laughs> Fact. Yep. Um. Okay. <laughs> Where <were we? laughs> How did we get on? I've I've spent more than the av- amount of time than the average person. in functioning quarries so i guess that's where my attitude comes from but i mean if it's like you your guys job, are wrong yeah. no if it, i i'm not talking about like if you work at a quarry and you're actually like moving earth or something oh also, yeah i know like, that's what you mean I things just... didn't work out for like cory feldman cory hart <laughs> cory hart wait no oh which cory hart what's the other Corey? night is there Corey another Heim? actor cory heim cory Corey Corey heim yeah this is our One's second dead. reference to lost boys people and yeah <laughs> Uh, Duff says you should check out the soundtrack. Uh, at least yeah. that Echo and the Bunnymen song. Um, so yes, I have. We have to talk about this Lieutenant Dan sequence because um, Lieutenant Dan is effed up. I yeah, know. I mean, even up. even before he ha- was maimed, though he he had a weird dynamic going on. Yeah, and I have I kind of have like different takes on this. One is it just in general, if you're upset about your destiny. And you believe in a destiny for you? I think you're dumb. Cosine. Well, like, if you're if you think it's my destiny to do this, like that's no, it's not. It's a thing you can decide to do. Has any person outside of a movie ever said that though? No, <sighs> not not in those words. But I mean, you'll hear people say like, "I was destined to be this career. I was destined to do this or that." So Found my calling. Yeah. Calling's different. Calling's different. You find something you enjoy doing. I mean, that's I've, different. I've definitely heard a lot of people say that it was, you know, it was meant to be. It was destined. It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All hogwash. Okay. <laughs> yeah. End the conversation. E- that's e- what I do with that. Everything situation. is random. It's a combination of circumstance and blind luck. Yep. The end. Yep. Uh, so I do, I do like this scene though. Gary, Gary Sinise is great in this yeah. scene. He's really good. And I, I do like when he asks Forrest about, like, do you know what it's like to not be able to use your legs? And he's like, yes, sir, I do. Um, I, I feel like the thing I like about this is, and the thing that like is most endearing of all things to me about Forrest is he's such a good friend. I'll follow that up with the line that I think is really great mm-hmm. is when he says, you're still Lieutenant Dan. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I don't know if yeah. it's a great line or if it's a great delivery. It's yeah. I think it's, I think it's a lot of things. I mean, like, you know, Lieutenant Dan is in a, 
tough stuff. Tough stuff here for Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he is at his lowest or pretty close. And he drags Forrest down because he knows that Forrest is, is, is like a good friend. And, you know, Forrest, he listens. He doesn't judge. Even his line about, yes, sir, I do. Like, he's not, like, dismissive about it. He just acknowledges it. He's there for him. And he has that line about, you're still Lieutenant Dan. This part about this scene I like is, like, I just think Forrest is such a good guy. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll sign on to that. However, I was listening <laughs> to I was listening You to know I'm sensitive about the Holocaust, if you know you are. But... Uh, I don't want to sound racist, but, but uh, I was listening to the commentary, and we've talked about Zemeckis being not very political, right? Mm-hmm. So it was fascinating to me him talking about the sequence in in a way that actually didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what it is because you know you guys are smarter than me. He talks about. Uh, you know, he argues that Lieutenant Dan represents the, quote, crippled America that is dealing with this illegal war. So it's interesting that he said illegal war uh, and realizing that it wasn't supposed to be like this. So, like, that's the destiny point is like, is this is is Lieutenant Dan represents America regardless. He didn't make sure to say this regardless of what side you're on, <laughs> that like this is not how it was supposed to be. Okay. Does that is that what you guys get from the scene? Because I I get it from a more personal level than I do from some like, you know, America uh, in the sixties. I yes and no, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I I'm sympathetic to it. I, I mean, I I, I, get, I get, it. get it that it's the the, you know the, I mean this was the first war that America lost, and I mean the whole era of conflict of nineteen. 19- God. I mean, nine, <laughs> I mean the whole the whole thing about like the boomer generation, like the '60s and early '70s, was it was the, you know, the first time that Americans saw like the, or at least white Americans saw the bad part of America. So I guess I get it. I see. I I, I don't even buy that. Like like those kinds of like, I, I'm not. I don't mean this as an attack on you. But like, like white people in poverty, like 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 it takes like that. Like I okay, I guess the the brunt of like my problem with that kind of summation, like like Vietnam, like made people realize like uh, the dark side of America and feeling defeat and stuff like that. It's like why why people say stuff like that, but they don't think about the people that were like gunned down at labor strikes in the er, like the late 1800s and early 1900s or well, like, what about World or Wars like the great depression or, or well i just but, but but those both worlds are world war one and two people can like brush off and say like well we won the war you know oh okay but, but still but, like but but, 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 who but went i'm to just it saying or... like like you think about like the ghosts of tom like the the grapes of wrath like uh, Amer- i mean america you know like like White people, I, and and I, I guess I, I don't know if I'm I'm being like fair here and and pushing back on what you're on, on not saying what you're saying, but what people say. It's just like part of it is that history is written by the victors, and so you don't get to hear from those people. 
I guess. And and since in the in this part of history there were no victors in America, so there's like kind of no positive way to spin it. So yeah. is that kind of what you think they mean by this? That there's this is the first moment where even the powerful couldn't find a way to spin it into some kind of a win. Probably, it's well, or or I think or I there's think even there's there's it's one of the first times, like you said, where you can't spin it into a win, but also there's just it doesn't make sense because even with things like those you know labor strikes and things like that you can kind of or world war one or whatever you can boil those down to us versus them or right and wrong there's or there's logic to it but it's kind of you know it's kind of like the like the famous muhammad ali thing where he's like you know why why you know no Viet Cong ever called me an n-word why am I gonna go 10,000 miles to go fight these people like what it just it was so nonsensical like the other things at least even if they were right or wrong there was sense to it and this was just so just so ludicrous maybe maybe a fair way to talk about it and I'd have to think about this more but I'm gonna say it into a recording that will last forever maybe it's the, the first time where it became abundantly clear that the people in power are idiots and have no idea what they're doing I do think that there's something to that and whereas like you know with these like kind of more class based disputes that I'm bringing up or or civil rights based disputes or you know uh, the subjugation of women like all that stuff is terrible but you can boil it down to like a very simple reason for why it's happening, whether it's class interests or racism or something like that. Like you racism can, is illogical and silly. But you can it, rationalize, but you it. understand it and yeah. you've, you've seen it and you know it, but like something like this just absolutely just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think even for the most gung ho Patriot, if you're turning on the news in 1968 to the Tet offensive, there's just, you can't do anything with that. Well, also like, you know, from just a educational standpoint, there's no narrative to Vietnam War. Yeah, like there's all these things that have like this was ha- this is what it was like, and then we did this, and then now it's better. Whereas like Vietnam War, like I don't remember learning anything about Vietnam War growing up because like what are you going to tell us? I do think that uh, Born on the Fourth of July does a really good job of showing that disillusionment, and I mean some of that. Actually, most of it is credit to Ron Kovic, who, you know, talks about growing up and just being post-World War II generation and having that pride of, oh, my parents went to World War II and our dads got to go and they got to fight fascism and fight evil. Mm -hmm. Now it's our turn. We're going to go do that. And then they get over there and it's just a giant cluster F. And it's like, what are we here for? What is going on? And, and another thing is that I think our generation probably doesn't – I know we don't understand. Like, we've never experienced that fear of a draft. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly cannot imagine, like, what I would have felt like or what I would have done if they would have instituted – the draft when they started the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh yeah, that's well, I mean. yeah, because we were right at the age. Yeah. There's still we were... there's still time, Joe. You may find out. <laughs> I think we're too old now, but well, well, too old to begin the training. Well, you know, desperate times. 
Because, you know, we graduated in 2005. I mean, so, hey. We would have definitely been young for, enough. 40, is, 40 is the new 30. We can still be drafted. <laughs> Tell my ankles that. Yeah. Yeah, you'd well, be fine, Rob. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll be in the, the AV club for the... I have, I have weak buttocks, and my ankles are made of dust. Uh, w- War is just pushing buttons for drones now, anyway. Yeah, you'd uh, probably be good at that. <laughs> I, I will say, I think I've said this before. You could code a drone. Uh, there was no more sobering moment of uh, my life of when I uh, was home for uh, winter break and I was playing Call of Duty <laughs> as my father, <laughs> veteran of Iwo Jima, was watching. And I just thought, oh, man, I can't play this right now. <laughs> what what a moment. <laughs> Did he say anything? No, no, he didn't. I think I like turned it off pretty soon too because I was like, "This is not the thing to have <laughs> this, on right now." This is silly. Yeah. Gosh, I, <laughs> imagine like <laughs> just like living that horror, <laughs> and then your kid is just like, "Isn't this fun?" Yeah. <laughs> Would you? I, your kid. Your kid is slurping down a Baja Blast Mountain Dew. <laughs> Dad, it's on veteran mode, and I learned that if you hide behind this bucket. Like it deflects all the bullets. So you hey, can, uh, like, <laughs> uh, Dad, can you get some Hardies? I promise I won't fill my pants this time. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like with this scene, it's I I think he's probably giving himself just a touch more credit than he deserves. But I don't think it's a ridiculous thing for him to say. It's, it's not ridiculous. I I feel like that's he's giving himself too much credit yeah i I just it was just interesting to me because i feel like it's one of the few scenes in this movie that seems very personal and not like meant to symbolize anything and Uh, and i guess that's why i i guess that's why i think that because so much this movie is you know iconography and all sorts of stuff so random random follow-up uh, did you guys get a free Gillette razor with your draft card, your selective service card? Yes. Isn't that the most morally repugnant thing in the world? Do they st- if, I, if I got that, I was not shaving, do, so I do, didn't need it. Do they still do that? Like, I don't know if they still do so that. So for, for those, I, I don't know if they still do this, but I'll, I'll explain well, um, let us when, know when uh, Rob, here's yeah. a good time to plug Rob. Where, yeah. How can they let go us to know? Our and then you guys can s- email me the screenshots of it. Yeah. So you go to forescottminute.com slash chocolates or look it up on Facebook as box of chocolates. So or just at our Twitter feed. So for too. those go who don't in. know, if you are a uh, male U S citizen, when you turn 18, you are automatically entered into the selective service and they mail you what is effectively I guess you could call it a draft card, but since 1970, whatever, there's been no draft. So it's basically just a little card. I still have mine. It's in a box somewhere. Uh, But because this is America and there's always a tie in uh, Gillette razor uh, at the time, at least had a tie in where you got along with your draft card, a free Gillette razor because nothing signifies being a grown up and a man like shaving. Uh, and it, and it literally had something like "Congratulations on being a man." Here's a razor. That it, yeah, I don't remember getting it. I'm sure I did, and didn't know what to do with it. Either thing, um, but <laughs> just what a there's there's just so. I mean, that's America in a nutshell. That you receive your selective service card along with a product tie-in. 
Yeah, I have no idea if they uh, uh, still do that. I can't imagine. I'm I'm doing some a little research here as we do this, and the um, the people online are basically saying these are being these are sent on your 18th birthday. Yeah, that's I remember. So my 18th birthday was August of 2000. Yeah, would have been August of 2000. So I don't uh, think it comes with your selective service notice. I just think it comes. Maybe your packages got mixed up. I just remember it being, again, maybe my memory is fuzzy. I remember it being connected to the selective service mm-hmm. thing. And I, you know, I wonder. That's probably why I don't remember because I turned eighteen when I was in college, so they would have mailed it to my parents. I, yeah, your dad was just shaving with your razor. Yeah, <laughs> he I, won't need it. Maybe it's because I remember. I for some reason I remember this, and they came on the same day. So it's that like, could be. That could be. That could be. Um, okay, guys, uh, can we transition to Gump getting the Medal of Honor from LBJ? Sure. Um, so Lieutenant Dan gets sent home. Or goes home, or he's just not there anymore. Um, so uh, Gump gets sent to Washington and uh, for a Medal of Honor, one of four recipients, and he meets Lyndon B. Johnson. Which, by the way, there's not a lot of guys who you usually say their middle initial when you say their name, right? Uh, assassins and, <laughs> and presidents usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so uh, so I want to talk about how this scene special effects on the scene because once again i find this fascinating this is very similar to the jfk one but it's a little more difficult because instead of black and white footage you're working with old 16 millimeter color footage so more difficult and so the way they do this is there's essentially uh two methods that they do to do this on the beginning of the scene when uh you kind of see Forrest like in a in a two shot talking to LB, LBJ, like getting the medal put on his on his neck, and he like looks over. That is original footage of Johnson putting a medal on someone, and then they just like you know put Forrest or put Tom Hanks face there. But then when you get to the wide shot, the wide shot is they have a, a recreation of this where they have just a stand in for Lyndon B. Johnson, and then they just, like, rotoscope Johnson's head in. Oh. So, once again, it's a whole idea of, like, mixing different things. So, for you know, when it's close-ups, it's forced, put into an old scene, and when it's, like, a long shot, it's it's uh, just Lyndon B. Johnson's head put on a stand-in. Mm-hmm. And they had to find footage, so, like, this is maybe the most, like, Uncanny Valley gets. Yeah, for sure is. But when I, yeah, when, I actually think this whole thing sucks. But w- when he walks to the camera, they had to find footage of like footage they had of Johnson walking towards the camera so that they could like do this. So that's to me where it gets a little like little uncanny valley. His mouth looks like like the Conan O'Brien Arnold. <laughs> videos, man. I was I wasn't watching the mouth too much. Um, now that I do, I kind of notice it. So I think visually it works okay. But and I don't know. Maybe it's because I just obviously you know it's not real. But I feel like this is a bad LBJ impersonation of. Who. Yeah, I agree with that too. It, his voice doesn't sound right. Also, 
it's also like I mean, I, listen, it is sort of weird because we already have JFK scene where he says he has to pee, but like they're like, what do we do for this one? Like, why don't we just have him show his ass? <laughs> and it's <laughs> and it's it's also kind of weird because. Like, I don't really get the whole rationale. It's like, I'd kind of like to see that. That's it weird. Is weird. That is bizarre. I mean, I, well, I know I know right, LBJ right was, was like a weird <laughs> off-the-cuff cowboy. But Yes, great segue. Can we talk about his hog? Yes. Okay, so, okay, that's what I want to know. I, I want to know what interesting LBJ facts you guys have for me. Because I, I hear, I know... Um, Huge I, cock. <laughs> he loved, he was... He, Loved to show off his giant hog. <laughs> really, absolutely loved to show off his hog. But in a weird twist, he loved showing it off to dudes. Yes, uh, well, alpha. He just total alpha. I, I, Is he I, the I most alpha president weird, of all in a weird time? Twist. It's it just makes him less creepy, right? No, that's what I mean. Like usually, yeah. because yeah, like well, nowadays, it's, it's like oh, it's you know, it's the Louis C.K. thing where he's going to show it to a woman. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it is sexual, but it isn't. It's more of just, like Joe said, it's a dominance thing. Yeah, it's just bros being dudes and being alpha. So I I am a, uh, I am a uh, fan of Conan O'Brien. And I know, I don't know, like, maybe you guys know this, but, like, the guest he was always trying to get for many, many, many years and never could, his, like, dream guest on his show was Robert Caro. Yeah, dude, oh, his yeah, books yeah. about LBJ are so good. Okay, so I was going to ask if you've read them. So this guy's written. I haven't four... read all of them. I haven't read all of them, but okay, I've read one like, of them. This guy has written four massive books on Lyndon Johnson that are over three thousand pages. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, I saw him, and he, he's six hundred pages into the new one, by the way. He did. And apparently, they're he, awesome. Yeah, they he, are. They are so good. He went on a. Colbert rapport back in the day a few times. It's weird he wouldn't go on Conan O'Brien. He was he was on Conan's uh, podcast recently. Okay, because I know he was on uh, yeah he was on Colbert rapport a few times. Um, but so okay so so like LBJ facts. I only have one that I ever know, and that was like his whole idea of having meetings standing up so they wouldn't last long, which I actually think is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's, he's got a huge. He's well endowed. I think he's the most. Uh, let me. This is a hot take, and I, let me think. Think a little more whether I want to say it. I think he's the most interesting and confound, confounding president ever. Okay. Uh, I just find him utterly fascinating, and it's not just because he he loved to wiggle around his giant hog in front of people. <laughs> just like he. Compared to most presidents, like had had a pretty modest upbringing and early life. Like he was a, a teacher for a couple of years. Like, can you imagine, like, just the way, considering where most of our presidents come from? You know, just I don't know. It, it's a, it's pretty interesting. Very flawed, but I think um, I think almost every president we've ever had was bad on <laughs> like net rating. But measuring on a curve, like I, it, it's Vietnam is just such a massive tragedy because he did. He also did a lot of good, and uh, it's it just, is. It, it's it's you know it's a as as the online joke goes, a land of contrasts. He's. <laughs> it's weird that a 
kind of like backwoods cowboy was one of the most socially progressive presidents we've had in the 20th century. And he was like really good at like getting stuff done. He was a, right. He was a ball buster and knew how to like get people in line. Like, yeah, which is, which is mechanized for both good and evil. Like, yeah, you know, obviously with you know what we're talking about here in Vietnam, it it's just so bad and so clearly and transparently done, and it's made pretty clear in the Carroll book to just appease. Republicans who were going to call out him and his party for being soft on communism, and okay. he just was obsessed with not looking, with with not looking soft. So that's why he just goes crazy with these airstrikes and escalating things there. And it's um, it's just such a shame. It's just, yeah because you look at kind of nineteen, like if you look at nineteen sixty four and nineteen sixty five, you have. Uh, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Medicare and Medicaid. Like, yeah, and, and, and people might, you know, point out like, oh, let's not give him too cre- too much credit. Like he really waffled a long time, especially with the civil rights stuff. And he was very hesitant. Absolutely true. Like there's no doubt about that. So uh, we all and we know that we're just saying, you know, like if we think about like the most like kind of transformative, progressive steps forward in the 20th century it's just it's fdr and then it's lbj and with lbj it happened in the even more amazing thing it happened in like 16 months it happened in like 1964 and half of 1965 and then just bogged down in vietnam yeah so he was so you're saying he was extremely productive during his first half term or whatever and then not so much I mean the he was term. the great society and the war on poverty and but at the same time bombing the s out of Vietnam sure yeah, sure and then it just it just literally killed him basically the how badly Vietnam went yeah he died he died in the early 70s oh, he yeah. he kind of became a recluse and grew his hair out really long and just uh yeah I mean, huh. he's, he's just like the most he's like one president where it was just like abundantly clear that he left office and knew he failed. Interesting. Um, I'm so, fascinated. I'll so, read those books <laughs> so that we, we didn't end- even get to his hog yet. So so uh, so that we end on a light note. And I mean, the thing about his hog is that he, he <laughs> well, he basically it, just loved to whip it out. He didn't want to look soft. It, it was by all accounts. Massive, massive hog. <laughs> The other fun fact I like about LBJ, and there are audio tapes of this. There's an audio tape of him calling his tailor. Yeah, and, this is my one of my favorites. And he's, um, and this is probably in relation to his big hog, but he's t- he's talking about. He's like, like he goes, he's talking to his tailor. He's like, yeah, you need to give me give me some more room down there, cause uh, <laughs> cause you know it get it gets pushed up against my bunghole, and he actually says bunghole. That's incredible he's just like so his balls are so big and his pants are so tight that they lift his sack up and his balls would touch his bunghole his 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 sack is mashed up against his taint this is and there's there's a call there's audio of the president of the united states it's on youtube complaining about his bunghole that is remarkable okay and then he also loved to like so he was the master of like and and 
this is obviously problematic, but just knew like if you make somebody uncomfortable and and want to get out of the situation, they'll just agree with you. Yeah. Right. So he would like he was really famous for just kind of invading personal space. There's that really famous um, picture from when he was a senator, and it was another senator who's kind of short. And he would kind of just kind of invade your personal space because his face really close to yours. And he would also love to like hold like quote unquote meetings in the bathroom. And he would just like have people continue talking to him and he would just go into a stall and sit on the toilet and do his business in the middle <laughs> Down of like talking. Yeah. <laughs> That's reminds me of the Seinfeld episode. Uh, yep. And there's all there's like just so many stories of him like swimming at the White House naked and talking to senators and so now that that people. that I've heard though, but he's not the only president to yeah, do that. Yeah, I've heard in general like it wasn't till like wasn't until like early '90s when the like pool like the Senate pool was allowed to be co-ed or something. And it was just mostly men that would go in it and swim naked, and so like it was like, is that is am I making this? Up? No, you're I, right. That but can right. I? Can we also just think about what the average United States senator looks like? Yeah, and they're just these pale, their like, doughy, wrinkled. Uh, they usually disgusting. they. <laughs> oh, up until 2009, it was only for men. They look. They usually look like Strom Thurmond. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Dude. So he also, um, uh, this I didn't know actually. Um, well, so anyways, in the bathroom, he also loved to just kind of like be at the urinal and be talking to staffers or congressmen or whomever. And he would uh, just finish urinating and like turn around. And there's a story, and this is from the Carol book. I remember this. And I, I grabbed the book to see if I could find it. Uh, he just turned. He, it, first of all, the nickname for his uh, his hog was Jumbo. <laughs> Jumbo. <laughs> it's funny his last name was Johnson. And yeah, and he would turn. He he would turn around once, I guess, to somebody and um, turned around and said, "Have you ever seen anything as big as this?" And then just started <laughs> shaking his shaking Jumbo at them. Wow, I mean. I, Wow. I get, and he, I guess he would also like frequently scratch himself or play with his play with Jumbo like through his pockets. Like oh, that's <laughs> gross. <laughs> and he's he'd got, like put hey, a leg up on a chair. He's got and, yeah. he's got tight pants and he's got a big hog and balls. He's got to got to scratch it. But I've here's my favorite here's my favorite alpha move that he did. And I this I didn't know until before we recorded this when I was doing a little research about his hog. <laughs> um, this is from a different book. And this is from The Residence, Inside the Private World of the White House by Kate Anderson Brower. And they talk about how Lyndon Johnson, this is sort of related to the Taylor story. He wanted them to make some adjustments to the shower. And he wanted them, he wanted them to install another like jet in the shower that would shoot right onto his hog. Right on Jumbo. <laughs> And he said he wants a nozzle aimed directly at the president's penis. And they told him that would take a lot of plumbing work. And Johnson told the person, if I can move 10,000 troops in a day, you can certainly fix the bathroom any way I want it. Hell yeah. Alpha. Get that hogwash. Hogwash. <laughs> wow. So wow. You will get the good Johnson's hog 
uh, content if you read uh, Caro's books, particularly particularly of the White House years or the Senate years. Wow. Okay. I I I'm going to I'm going to check one of these books out. Um. Okay. Well, uh, this segment ends with Force getting into line. Uh, he is abducted. He veterans is. against Vietnam protest. He uh, he is he, kidnapped by uh, a woman in a metal hat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, all he's doing is just sightseeing. He yeah. Ju- he just wants to see all the monuments and whatnot, and this bossy hippie lady just grabs him. <laughs> grabs him, gets him in line, off they go. So uh, we'll have to wait till next uh, or next time we're talking about this to move on from that. Uh, do you guys have anything else? I got a music cue. I oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I I have quite a lot actually. Okay. Yeah, um, it's gonna be a so, long episode because I also have a lot. This song whips. So oh. so we have first of all we have Mrs. Robinson. We've talked about this. Uh, we've talked about the graduate. We've talked about Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, if you want to know more, you can go to freepodcast.com. Uh, about the graduate. But uh, this was a number one song. It was on the Bookends album and the Miss, Mrs. Uh, sorry, the Graduate soundtrack. Uh, but now we have uh, volunteers from the yes from the self titled or from the album of the same name, not so uh, by Jefferson uh, Airplane. Uh, peaked at number 65 on the Billboard charts. And I did a deep dive because the whole saga of Jefferson Airplane is oh, ho- so good. hilarious. So the album is Volunteers or the song is Volunteers? Both. 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 Okay. It is uh, the self-titled... Yeah, it's a, it, the, the album is called Volunteers and so is the song. Okay. So Jefferson Airplane is kind of the stereotypical psychedelic hate Ashbury group. They did uh, um, Somebody to Love, uh, White Room. Or, famous sorry, like not, cable guy. Uh, well, not White, White Rabbit. Room. White Rabbit. Ra- White Room is the cream song. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so the Volunteers album was very anti-war and pro-anarchy. Yes. Uh, and also had songs about nature, communities, and ecology. Wait, Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson yeah. Airplane. Who would later become Jefferson Starship. Oh, right? I'm, I'm going to get into that. Okay. The, 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 okay, so, yeah, basically, like, if we're going to put a thesis statement at the beginning of, of Dove's history, I would argue, and I think he'll agree, that the Jefferson Airplane core members – match the trajectory of the boomer generation perfectly through their music and approach to the business of music yeah it's it's a giant cluster of uh sex drugs and rock and roll it is and and selling out like like they 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 transition into yuppies beautifully yeah so so you have jefferson airplane who is kind of the stereotypical psychedelic hate ashbury uh, hippie band. Yep. Um, let, let, and, and they they let's, talk, let's and, talk about volunteers a song real quick first. Yeah. Do I it's my favorite song on the soundtrack. It owns. It's uh, awesome. It's it's a very good song. I like it. I like it a lot. And uh, it the lyrics are awesome. Like if the people in the band actually were cool, 
they would <laughs> like they would maybe be one of my favorite bands but like you know knowing like what happens to them later and it's just like uh and the whole like knowing like the hip you might sort of disdain for the hippies keeps you from getting too into it but like the lyrics are surprisingly aggressive on the political songs yeah, in this the, album the entire album is very aggressive there was one song on the album that talked about uh, putting people against the wall. Yeah, that was... uh, we can be together. The first yeah. track, they the lyric I won't say because uh, we try to not do the swears, but it's up against the wall, mf'er, yeah. which is like a, which rules. <laughs> and uh, the, so the lyrics for that song and lyrics for volunteer, it's like he- volunteers. It's like hell yeah, yeah. So, so good. And this was uh, that was 1969 when that album was released. And interestingly, Jefferson Airplane. Uh, was the only band to play all of the big three festivals of the time, being Woodstock, Monterey Pop Fest, and Altamont. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know that. So uh, things start to go sour, though. <laughs> Imagine so, that. So basically, I tried to condense this because it gets there's a lot of confusion and a lot of side projects, but... I think most people are familiar with Fleetwood Mac and rumors and how it was just everyone was in a relationship and some of those relationships broke up and they everyone was on cocaine. Mm-hmm. Basically the same thing, but swap cocaine for acid. <laughs> okay. So eventually uh, some people in Jefferson Airplane get disfat- dissatisfied. The band breaks up. And they become Jefferson Starship. And uh, this is the fir- kind of what Joe said. This is kind of like the first thing they did that shows that they're just kind of, you know, business sellouts. Is their manager, Bill Thompson, convinced them that maintaining the connection of the name was prudent from a business standpoint. <laughs> so that's why they're Jefferson Starship. Uh, also at this time, some members of Jefferson Airplane, now Jefferson Starship, were in a kind of on-again, off-again band called Hot Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which, <laughs> like, it's just kind of one of those bands where, like, whoever was available at the time, like, I feel like members of the Grateful Dead and uh, David Crosby, Stephen Stills played on that. So by the early 70s, you have Jefferson Starship, and they do pretty well in the 70s. They're kind of, And to be fair, there are... I did a sampling of songs. There's some okay, like, court, like arena rock songs at this point. Uh, but there's still a lot of drugs. But fair to say, less cool. Less oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it gets less cooler. <laughs> so they make the song Jane, which is an absolute banger. That is the song from Wet Hot American Summer over the credits. And I think. Okay. They, and that's Jefferson Starship. Does that, that. This is still Jefferson Starship. Yeah. So they keep going into the 80s and they, they're they still pretty successful. Uh, they have some success on MTV and eventually personalities clash and Paul Cantor leaves the group. Uh, and there there is basically a legal agreement. Uh, Grace Slick. And Bill Thompson and all parties agree not to use the name Jefferson going forward. And then they turn into Starship. Oh, Because <laughs> Air, Airplane was a big movie at the time. You can't <laughs> go with that. Yeah. Uh, so now they transition into Starship. And this is when you get 
We built the city on rock and roll. Uh, we built broke- this city on broken, broken. glass. Yes. Eventually, eventually, Grace Slick uh, sobered up and rejoined the band, but then left the band again in 1989 because Jefferson Airplane did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame reuniting thing. Uh, And that left us with Starship, which was eventually renamed Mickey Thomas's Starship, uh, later renamed to Starship featuring Mickey Thomas, Mm -hmm. which still tours to this day. Uh, and if they are, I've seen them. They are touring at a casino near you. Um, <laughs> so, would you say that the trajectory from Volunteers, the song, <laughs> to "We Built This City" perfectly encapsulates the evolution of the Boomer? Yes it 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 encapsulates the Boomer trajectory of too many drugs too much sex and then just getting greedy as hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah cocaine's yeah. not cheap i mean to be fair all all those things are uh they have Fun. they have uh, an ability <laughs> to uh result in making poor decisions <laughs> <laughs> this this is true i guess i knew about all those bands i guess i never made the connection through the through line does that make sense? I, like I was it, like Jefferson Airplane the, became Jefferson Starship, and Je- Starship became Jefferson Starship. But I never like made the connection that the people who did or the band, quote unquote, that did Jefferson Airplane eventually ends up making we built this. Thing. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's a very bizarre trajectory, and some people are involved, and like not everyone from the most orig- aren't right. Like most <sighs> aren't. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's a Leonard Skinner situation where, <laughs> yeah, there's not many left, and, um, and the, we built this city. There's like really inter- like that's w- fairly widely regarded as the worst song of all time. Yeah. I don't know that I agree with that. It's bad. I mean, it's it's bad, but we built this city is a fun part of the song. Uh, <laughs> I don't uh, know if it is. Do you guys have anything else about uh, this segment of Forrest Gump? Nah, I don't either. I don't either. Well, listeners, Gump Minute, Twitter and Facebook, ForrestGumpMinute.com slash chocolates. You can join our Facebook group if you want to give us money, Patreon.com slash The Midnight Boys. And you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. There you go. Yes. Our website still says iTunes. I'm not changing it. Um, Go there. Give us a review. Even if it's bad, they make us laugh and we'll probably read it online. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we will be back next week. Happy the days while I'm ending the nest. Till once more they ride high out to sea.